Welcome to the Secretary Survey, the Irish Pre-Hospital Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Secondary Survey. I'm Viv Ford and I'm back for one night only. So here I am. In this episode, I'm going to speak about abdominal pain and how we can assess it and maybe give us an insight on what may be wrong with our patients who present to us with it. I decided to put this episode together using the study notes that I took from Dr. David Menzies's lecture when I was doing the advanced paramedic course many, many years ago. When I was practicing, I used to go to these notes all the time for my own reference and practice. So, the most common presentations to the emergency departments are chest pain, breathlessness and abdominal pain. The same could be said for us in the pre-hospital care environment as well. There are many problems that can manifest as abdominal signs and symptoms, ranging from gastrointestinal, genitourinary, vascular, cardiac, hepatic, muscular, skeletal, lymphatic, mental and metabolic problems. Firstly, when dealing with abdominal pain, as with all our patients, it begins with taking a good patient history. Start with their age, occupation, source of the history. Is it from the patient themselves, a relative or a friend? What is their chief complaint? Why have they called you? And the seven signs of an attribute. Don't worry, I'll go into this later. Is there a surgical, medical or sexual history? Is there an obstetrics or gynecological history? Personal, social or travel history? Family history such as inflammatory bowel disease? Is the patient taking any medications, be that prescribed or over-the-counter medications? Do they have any allergies? And review their symptoms again. So earlier I mentioned the seven signs of an attribute. What are they? This is like our OPQRST or Socrates that we use for assessing a patient's pain. The seven signs are 1. Location. Get the patient to point with one finger where their pain is. 2. Is it quality? Is it cramping, sharp or a stabbing pain for example? 3. The quantity or the severity of the pain? 4. Is timing? Is the pain all the time, intermittent or at any particular time? 5. Is the setting in which the pain occurs? Six is remitting or exacerbating factors. And seven, finally, is associated manifestations. We have to remember our patients may overlook certain symptoms that might be very important to their complaint. That's why we have to be thorough in our assessment and history taking. We need to focus our assessment and ask about our patients' bowel habits. How frequently do they open their bowels normally? Is there anything different about their bowel habits? What is the colour and consistency of the faecal matter? Ask if there's blood present. If it's bright red, it may indicate a bleed lower down in the GI tract. Is it dark red or are there clots present, which may be indicative of a bleed higher up in the GI tract? Do they notice the blood on the toilet paper after wiping or do they see it in the toilet bowl? Is there a feeling of incomplete emptying of the bowel, which is known as tenesmus? Are they constipated? The next stage of our focus assessment will be asking about our patient's appetite, diet and alcohol intake. Have they been vomiting? How often have they vomited? When and why? Has there been any weight loss or gain? Do they have a feeling of early satiety? Any symptoms of an obstruction? A history of previous abdominal surgery, colonoscopy or endoscopy? Has there been episodes of dyspepsia? 
Oral hygiene is important. Is there water brushing present? When was the last menstrual period? Pre-hospital red flags for abdominal pain would be pain radiating to the back, especially in patients over 50, which might indicate an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Hypotension or shock? A rigid abdomen? Pregnancy? Is there profuse, bright hematemesis which could be a variceal bleed? Now, other general red flags would be new anemia, which could be a possible bowel tumour, weight loss, early satiety, which may be a sign of a gastric tumour. Is there pure bleeding present? Unexplainable constipation. Tenesmus, which I was saying earlier is the feeling of not completely emptying their bowel, can be a sign of a rectal tumour. A positive family history such as bowel cancer or inflammatory bowel disease is important. Now, obviously, it's probably best that you don't tell the patient that they possibly have a tumour should they present with some of the signs and symptoms that I've just listed. These would really need to be diagnosed in the hospital after a lot of tests. So that's the history taken care of. Now it's on to the physical examination of the patient. Firstly, there's the general overall appearance of the patient. Observe their demeanour. Are they agitated or relaxed? Are they walking properly or are they guarding? Do they have a vomit bag or a bowl? Look at the contents if they are available. You're looking for blood, bile or fecal matter here? Look at their colour. Are they pale? You're looking at their skin, conjunctiva and the palms of their hands for this. Are they jaundiced, which is indicative of a liver problem? Is the patient short of breath or do they have chest pain? Now, in order to carry out a physical examination of the patient, we have to prepare the patient. Ideally, the patient should empty their bladder prior to the examination, but in the pre-hospital environment, unfortunately, this is not always possible. Anyway, get the patient to lie flat on their back with their arms at their sides. It is important to get the patient to relax when performing an abdominal assessment. A good tip to make sure the patient is relaxed is to look at their feet. If a patient is relaxed, their feet will naturally fall outward to the sides. If they are not relaxed, their feet will be together, pointing upwards. Get them to point with one finger where the pain is. It is important to watch the patient's face when performing an abdominal assessment. Their face will show if you are causing them pain. During an abdominal assessment, there are five main assessments carried out. The first one is inspection. Look at the skin. Are there any scars, rashes or dilated veins? Do you notice any discoloration, bruising, intra-abdominal hemorrhage? Look for Cullen's sign at the umbilicus, which indicates hemorrhagic pancreatitis. Or there's Gray-Turner's sign, which is bruising of the flanks from the lowest rib to the hip. This is a sign of a retroperitoneal hemorrhage. Look at the umbilicus. Is it an outing or is it an innie? Is there a hernia? Is the abdomen flat or bulging? Ask if this is normal or abnormal for the patient. Then look for pulsations in the abdomen. Number two is auscultation. This is performed prior to percussion and palpation. We are listening for bowel sounds here. Now, there is not much clinical significance except if they are absent. There are other sounds to listen for, but are not really relevant in the pre-hospital setting. The third examination is percussion. This is where you lay the middle finger of one hand and tap it with the tip of your finger from the other hand. Start away from the source of pain. This is used to assess the size, amount, density and distribution of gases, solids and liquids in the abdomen. Take note of the areas of tympany and dullness as you move around the abdomen. 
The fourth examination is palpation. Personally, I find the two-handed palpation useful. Place the flat of one hand on the abdomen and the other on top. The upper hand exerts the pressure while the lower hand is used to feel the abdomen. Again, starting away from the source of pain. Initially, palpate lightly. This relaxes and reassures the patient. Then perform a deeper palpation, but only if the patient can tolerate it. During palpation, we can get a sense of muscle rigidity, voluntary or involuntary guarding. Assess some organs and masses. Assess for tenderness. Assess for a lateral pulsating mass in a AAA, which should be done cautiously and gently in these instances. And finally, there's number five. There are specific abdominal assessments that can be carried out. There's Blumberg sign, which is more commonly known as testing for rebound tenderness, which is pain on release of palpation pressure as opposed to the palpation itself. This is usually associated with appendicitis. There's Murphy's sign. This is where you get the patient to take a deep breath and hold it and then palpate the right upper quadrant or subcostal area. A Murphy's positive sign indicates acute cholecystitis. Rob's sing sign. This is when you press on the left iliac fossa, which causes pain to the right iliac fossa. This test is also associated with appendicitis. And finally, there's Markle's sign. For adults, get them to do the heel drop test, which is dropping to the heels from standing on their toes with a jarring landing. For peds, get them to jump up and down. They will only jump once, I guarantee it. And a positive in this test may be indicative of peritonitis or appendicitis. So that's the history and physical examination done. Now that all this is done, we have to work out what could be causing our patient's pain. I'll quickly list out what could be wrong based on the patient's location of pain. So right upper quadrant pain can indicate biliary colic, gallstones. The official term is cholelithiasis. I think I'll just stick with the gallstones there. There's cholecystitis, peptic ulcer disease, but also keep in mind hepatitis, nephrolithiasis, which is kidney stones. Again, I'll choose to go with kidney stones here. Or there could be a pleuritic cause for this pain. There's epigastric pain, which can be peptic ulcer disease, acute or chronic gastritis, pancreatitis, gastric, esophageal or pancreatic cancer, a AAA, and please don't forget the MI. Now, left upper quadrant pain. This can be diverticulitis, irritable bowel disease and colitis, splenomegaly or a splenic injury, colorectal tumour, kidney stones, and again, there could be a pleuretic cause for this as well. Pain in the left iliac fossa could be indicative of diverticulitis, colorectal tumour, ovarian problems, an ectopic pregnancy, pelvic inflammatory disease, kidney stones, a hernia, or referred testicular pain. And we move on to the suprapubic area, so pain here in relation to pregnancy, it can be an ectopic pregnancy or a miscarriage. It can be a UTI or cystitis, prostatitis, which is prostate gland swelling, or pelvic inflammatory disease. And finally, right iliac fossa pain might be appendicitis, ovarian problems, an ectopic pregnancy, pelvic inflammatory disease, kidney stones or hernia, and again, refer testicular pain. Now, something to keep in mind is that masses, perforations, infections, 
and an ischemic bowel can present anywhere in the abdomen. And also, it is worth remembering that the first presentation of diabetic ketoacidosis can be abdominal pain. Now, with regard to the treatment of these patients, the only thing that we can really do is provide pain relief for them. It is worth mentioning that Entinox is not contraindicated for abdominal pain, but it is if you are suspecting a bowel obstruction. So just a quick reminder about a bowel obstruction, which can also be called an intestinal obstruction. It basically happens when something blocks the bowels. It can occur in either the large intestine or the small intestine. A common type is fecal impactment, which is a large mass of fecal matter that gets stuck in the digestive tract and doesn't get pushed out as it normally does. The blockage can either be partial or a complete blockage. Patients can have a pseudo-obstruction, this is where there is no physical blockage and occurs because of problems with the gastrointestinal muscles or the nerves that control them. The signs and symptoms of an obstruction can be abdominal pain and cramping, constipation, unable to pass gas, loss of appetite, nausea and vomiting, a rigid swollen abdomen. There can be diarrhea with a partial blockage. Patients can develop what is called overflow diarrhea because of severe constipation. This is when the bowel begins to leak out watery stools around the blockage from higher up in the bowel. This leakage can actually look like diarrhea. Also be aware that morphine can cause constipation so I would use it cautiously on the already constipated patient or one that may have a possible bowel obstruction. We don't want to add to this problem. As regard to actually diagnosing the cause of a patient's condition, this is very difficult with regards to abdominal pain as there can be a number of differential diagnoses and it may not be possible to even come up with one definitive diagnosis in the pre-hospital setting. The best we can do is to treat them for their pain. Maybe have an idea of what is wrong, hand them over to the ED staff, report your findings and hopefully then the patient will find out what the problem is after further examinations and tests within the hospital environment. So that's all I have on abdominal pain and assessment. It's a short little episode. I hope you find at least one or two things to take away from this episode. Please be sure to tell others about the secondary survey and please feel free to share this and our other episodes on Twitter and all the streaming services that are out there. Thanks for listening. Bye. All information recorded is solely the opinion of the presenters and their guests. They do not represent the views of the employers nor associated with any establishment or service provider. Content is not to be taken as medical advice and should not affect established guidelines and protocols. Thank you for listening. Take care.